<laughs> hey now, it's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now you can download the free app today and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Now, if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows, such as JSC Radio. You can create custom playlists. You can rate and review this show and others on Stitcher. Please drop a friendly review on the show. Not only is Stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets, it's also in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. You don't have the Stitcher app? Simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check it out. This is JSC Radio. It seems as as we become more vocal about systemic racism and racism in general, um, it, there are more and more angry white people coming out of the woodwork uh, to be able, who want to express how angry they are. Uh, it seems like any... Any step forward that we make, there's always a step back. So, like, having a black president means, obviously, that we're going to have a lot of racist backlash, and you'll see that pretty much anywhere. If, if women make a step forward, there's always going to be a pushback towards that, a bigger push to basically dis- dissuade you from, you know, fighting for what you are owed and for what is right and for what you need to be able to live. And that's what I've noticed more and more here is that any time that you actively try to fight for what you want or for what you need for your life there's always going to be you know five angry racist dudes are going to come after you and say horrible things to try to make you stop saying them and you can keep fighting which is great if you can but if you need to retreat then do it because it can be fucking scary out there check it out this is jsc radio ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages hey now how the hell are you doing my name is jay scott smith and this is episode 17 of jsc radio coming to you direct from the beautiful jsc radio studios right here in philadelphia How's everyone doing this week as we've gotten past Labor Day? I celebrated a birthday earlier this week, by the way. Good grief, I'm 37 years old. Where the hell is my life gone? But I want to take a second to thank each and every one of you guys who hit me up, whether it was on Facebook, whether it was on Twitter, whether it was on Instagram, or on Snapchat, to wish my stankin' ass a happy birthday. I greatly appreciate it. Be sure to follow me on all sets of social media. Twitter, J. Scott Smith. Instagram, J. Scott Smith. Snapchat, J. Scott Smith. Spell it out, J-A-Y-S-C-O-2-T's, S-M-I-T-H. That's J. Scott Smith. Be sure to give this show a five-star rating and a recommendation on iTunes and on Stitcher because it's your ratings, it's your reports, it's your love about this show that helps keep this thing going and will help it grow into something so much bigger than what it is right now. What's going down for this week? Well... As you're hearing this, we're getting ready for the official start of the NFL season, and this show is going to take a different look at football altogether, because we're going to be looking at football 
from a much more real-life perspective. Last week's shows were more about the fun end, you know, me talking about the Lions and everything. I've made my peace with being a fan of pro football. I've made my peace with being a fan of college football. I've done that. I've made my peace despite the fact I have just unbelievable reservations about supporting such a violent, at times negligent, and overall dangerous damn sport. But today, or should I say tonight, or whenever the hell you're listening to this thing, I'm bringing in a special guest. My second guest in this show's history. Her name is Lara Witt. And Lara Witt is a blogger. She is a writer. She wrote for the Philadelphia Daily News. And she deals heavy in feminist issues. Now, you might be wondering, Jay, why the hell are you having a feminist writer on your show that's talking about football? Because we're starting the beginning of the football season. Well, as much as I enjoy watching football, more so the first, say, 25 or so years of my life, the Lions kind of went into the shitter about 2002, so that tempered a lot of my enthusiasm for the NFL. But as much as I enjoyed watching the game of football, a lot of things over the years really bothered me. Now, if you recall, episode 8 of this podcast series featured me talking about head injuries in football, which is one of the biggest stories about the game, and it could be the tipping point in what happens with football's future here in the United States. But the other issue that football has, a major problem that football has, and it's an institutional problem that has just grown and grown and grown. It's it's always been there, but it's gotten so much more pub, I guess you could say over the last 15 years, 15, almost 20 years or so. Football has a massive problem with women, and I'm not saying this as if it's anything new. It's had a woman problem for a long time, and I'm talking about in how they treat women, how they see women, how violence against women, whether it's sexual violence or domestic violence or both, because to keep it real, sexual violence is domestic violence, has been treated almost as if it's just an accepted practice. And you know where I'm going with this. And I don't even really have to go to Ray Rice. I don't have to go back to Greg Hardy, who are two of the most recent and most egregious of violators of women. It's not uncommon. Ray McDonald being another one. It's not uncommon to hear at least once every four to six weeks that an NFL or college football player has assaulted a woman, whether it's beating her up in a nightclub, whether it's sexually assaulting her, whether it's beating her up in an elevator, whether it's beating her up in her apartment, whether it's beating her up in a bathroom, whether it's raping her in a bathroom, whether it's taking turns raping a woman on a college campus. You see where I go with this. And as much as I'd love to think that the NFL is getting itself together on this, One must not forget that it was just two years ago. They were going to hand a two-game suspension to Ray Rice and were on their way to blaming his girlfriend, now wife, for being culpable in her own assault until TMZ released the infamous video of Ray Rice getting in her face, spitting on her, and then punching her out in the elevator and dragging her limp, lifeless body out of it. The NFL was going to let him walk with two games, and he'd probably still be a Baltimore Raven right now. Greg Hardy got another chance. Greg Hardy was convicted by a judge in North Carolina of assaulting a woman, physically assaulting a woman. But 
when it came time to go to a jury trial, the woman who was assaulted suddenly didn't want to talk anymore, partially because she was paid a boatload of money to shut up and try to make it all go away. Carolina Panthers kept him around for a bit, then released him, and then Jerry Jones and the dirtbag Dallas Cowboys couldn't wait to scoop him up and make another reclamation project out of him, only for them to find out that Greg Hardy was even a bigger dirtbag than they thought he was. He was every bit the dirtbag you figured. This is a league that in the last week, and if you recall, episode 16.5 talked about Colin Kaepernick. In the last week, there's been so much hand-wringing, so many current and former players just storming to get in front of any microphone they can find. And I'm talking about white players, black players, Latinos, Asians, sprinting to just go out and condemn Colin Kaepernick for refusing to stand during the Star-Spangled Banner. He's actually being vilified for exercising his First Amendment right to not have to stand for the National Anthem. And rather than rehash that, something popped up late last week that really pissed me off. It was reported by ESPN and a few other outlets that in the inner circles of NFL ownership, Colin Kaepernick was viewed as so toxic, he was kept on the same level, the same plane as Ray Carruth. You remember Ray Carruth. 16 years ago, he murdered his pregnant girlfriend. The girlfriend managed to give birth to a child who was severely injured and currently has cerebral palsy. That Ray Carruth, the Chris Benoit of the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, for not standing for the damn national anthem, is seen as a worse individual than Greg Hardy, than Ray Rice, then Josh Brown of the New York Giants, Ray McDonald, Johnny Manziel. I can keep going. All those guys I listed beat up a woman. All of them. Certain cases it was caught on tape. But I'm supposed to believe that Colin Kaepernick, what he did was so unforgivable and so inexcusable. He's as bad as Ray Carruth. Seriously, bro. Just stop. Your misplaced patriotism and misogyny are showing. There's something about football, and to a certain extent, all sports, but football seems to be the greatest offender of this, both pro and college. Just don't think I'm letting college football off the hook on this either. Baylor University, I see you. Football has this, this thing about masculinity, and I'm saying this as a guy who's played the game himself. Masculinity, toughness, anger, violence is what makes football what it is. It's a scary damn thing. I've been on a football field. Just being on a high school football field is frightening. So you can only imagine what it turns into when you go from Detroit Renaissance High School to Michigan State University. When you go from Michigan State University to the Houston Texans and you're on an NFL field with guys running 500 miles an hour looking to do nothing but harm to your punk ass. It's tough. But that type of anger, that type of viciousness doesn't stay on the field. And that's where it becomes problematic for the women of our society. Because too many young women have been victimized by football players, both NFL and in college. And more often than not, that player doesn't get charged because the woman is so scared she won't press charges. Or, strangely enough, they'll decline to charge the guy because of lack of evidence. Or... She'll be shamed into keeping her mouth shut or paid off. And the most the player would get would be a slap on the wrist, one, two-game suspension. In college football, maybe get suspended for a half. 
Baylor University is the greatest example of this. Baylor University, in every stretch of the imagination, is essentially what Penn State is, except instead of it being little boys, it's college-age women. We got to do better. We got to do better as men, and we got to do better as a society. Football, football, is supposed to be the new American pastime. Begrudgingly, I admit it it has gone past baseball. Damn it. Mind you, baseball players are savages when they want to be, too. Basketball players have done it. Hockey players have done it. All athletes have done it. But football seems to have this thing where it happens almost more often with them than anybody else. And it's just disturbing. So this week's show, we're going to look at a different side of things. We're going to look at what happens and how sexual assault, sexual violence, all violence against women affects women. You can get PTSD from sexual assault. Just like you get PTSD from being abused as a child or seeing the horrors of war. The young lady I have coming on today is a brilliant writer, really damn funny, awfully cool individual with a very powerful story and an amazing outlook. And for those of you who didn't read the description of this episode, I suggest you put on your headphones if you're listening to this at work or listening to it around people whose ears are just a little bit too sensitive to the salt and pepper, the colorful language, because Lara Witt gets very, very colorful. She's very liberal with the F-bombs, if you get what I'm saying. This is for grown folks. This is a mature conversation about a sport that has a whole hell of a lot of insecurity and immaturity going on in it. My name is J. Scott Smith. You're listening to JSC Radio. My interview with Lara Witt is coming up after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, it's J. Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, and I want to personally take a second to thank you for taking out your time to listen to this show. But one other thing I would love for you to do while you're here is to take a little extra time and click on that Amazon link below the player. See, when you click on that Amazon link below the player, anything you purchase, and you don't have to purchase anything right now, but just bookmark it, save it to your favorites, and the next time you go on Amazon to purchase whatever it is, whether it's I don't know, computer equipment, or music, or you could be trying to buy a watch, or buy a suitcase, or buy a new microphone in case you want to start podcasting. Whenever you want to do that, click on the Amazon link, go buy whatever you want, and whenever you purchase something on Amazon, a little bit of it gets chipped off to help JSC Radio keep rocking, keep rolling, and keep growing. So again, click on that little Amazon link right beneath the player. You'll see it. It's highlighted right beneath the player. Save it to your bookmarks. You ain't got to buy nothing right now, but the next time you want to jump on Amazon and put your Amazon Prime to use. And also, it will definitely work if you want to download music and download Amazon Video too. A little bit of money gets shipped off to JSC Radio to help keep us moving. Really appreciate it. So show some love. Get on Amazon and click the link. This is JSC Radio. This is JSC Radio. How's it going? As you heard just before we went to our break, this show is a slightly different look at the start of the football season, which just began a few days ago, by the way, and the NFL gets going. NFL actually gets going tonight. That's that's crazy, because it just seems like it was a couple seconds ago it was the Super Bowl. But of all the good things and all the interesting issues that are attached to football, there are two things that are really, really bothersome to me, as I mentioned in the open. The first I touched on a few episodes ago, dealing with head injuries in football and the 
disastrous impact that has on guys going forward. But as I mentioned, there's also the disastrous impact that football players have had on many women, young and old. And in the light of Colin Kaepernick being vilified and compared to Ray Carruth, a man who murdered his pregnant girlfriend, by the way, all the while NFL executives have decided that what they're going to do is they will coddle men like Ray Rice and Greg Hardy, who beat up women freely, but Colin Kaepernick sitting down for the flag, that's a problem. I've brought in a young lady who not only can speak to feminist issues and women's issues, but has unfortunately dealt with issues of abuse firsthand. Her name is Lara Witt, and I wanted to make sure I pronounced it correctly. It's like Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. It's Lara Witt. She's a writer and feminist activist who focuses on highlighting the voices of women of color by exploring the intersections of racism and sexism. Now, she uses social media. That's where I found her, her amazing Twitter profile. She uses social media platforms to critique pop culture and current events through a feminist lens and raises awareness about living with PTSD as a sexual assault survivor. She's a graduate of Temple University with a BA in journalism, same degree I have, except I'm from Michigan State. And she began writing freelance to establish her voice. Her pieces have been published in the Philadelphia Daily News, Guerrilla Feminism, Rewire News, and Blavity and Bust. Welcome, my second ever guest here to JSC Radio, Miss Lara Witt. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, other than the shitty hot weather. I'm, I'm very happy. The lo- gotta love the... the and see, those who are listening on the, in another part of the country, it's hot as shit here in Philadelphia. Yeah. It has been for most of the summer. I love hot weather, but... Yeah, but Philly's like a dumpster fire. It's not like... It's, <laughs> it's not like when it's hot, it's pleasant. It brings up all the smells and all the shit that you don't want to have. It's, it's a very yeah. aggressive kind of heat. It's yeah. the kind of oh, heat... It, it's the kind of heat that's... It's almost like it's selling you something, or it yeah. shows up trying to get you to to convert to their religion or something it's of that nature. It's hot sauce in your eyes. That, That's what it is. See, this is why I like her. So, <laughs> of, of all the things, I guess, give people a bit more. I gave somewhat a story on you. Give yeah. people a bit more of your story, like your background and where you come from and how you ended up in Philadelphia, of all places, considering where you began. Yeah. Um, well, I was born and raised in Geneva, Switzerland. And I moved here about six years ago, um, and it was mostly, I, the PG version that I tell is that I couldn't do my journalism degree in Switzerland because there were not enough avenues for me to be able to pursue afterwards because it's not exactly like a journalistic hub. Um, but the non-PG version of it is that uh, my father got remarried to someone who's really horrible uh, and who oh. hated me. Um, so I was forced to move out. Uh, the only person who could really take me in was my aunt who lives here in Philly. Uh, she offered to have me move in with her and just get settled and restart my life, um, which for more than one reason was really great. Um, and yeah, I've just, I've been here ever since. Um, I, you know, I'm from, even though I consider myself to be Swiss, uh, because I have a Swiss passport, still learning what it means to be American, um, and also being very multiracial. I'm Kenyan and Indian American, but with European roots, I'm still trying to figure out what that means here in the U.S. You're you're a bit of a cultural fruit salad, is what I like to call it. It's it's like if someone took all these different nationalities, put it in a blender, and made a smoothie, this would be you coming out But then never really told you what that meant, and was like, all right, go have fun with it. So I get to explore it, which is really great. Um because it's helped me meet a whole bunch of other people who are like me, who know that it feels very strange to not really belong anywhere. Um, 
but yeah, I think feminism has really helped with that because I get to meet women who understand what it's like to intersect all of those things, race and sex, and just, you know, try to highlight what comes with all of it at the same time. How long have you been in Philly? Six years. Been yeah. here six years. And how has your experience been here in the United States over the last six years? It's a very interesting time to come into this country <laughs> in the last six years. Um, it's been a great education, I guess. Um because there's no racism like American racism. Um, no, there's racism everywhere, absolutely. But there's no other nation that has used slavery from the beginning of its inception, I suppose, if you want to use uh, colonization and racism and slavery as ways to grow up. That's how the U.S. did it. So it's interesting to see how historically that's, that has given a context for what we see today. And I was aware of it from far away, but there's nothing like actually being here and understanding it and meeting people who talk to you about it and what that means for all the kids growing up for right now as well. Um, so that's been really interesting. And also having more of an international perspective on it has been interesting. There's moments where I feel like I shouldn't really say anything, but then there's also moments where I can't shut the fuck up and just stay silent, it's not right. So, yeah. What's the difference between the United States and Switzerland, which in this country we always assume is, oh, that's just, it's, it's the neutral country that doesn't jump into wars, and it's, it's where people stash their money and <laughs> things of that nature, and, and, and Swiss Miss and hot chocolate. What is Switzerland like from someone who actually grew up there? So, aesthetically, it's beautiful. It's, honestly, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It was really nice to grow up somewhere that's so... Uh, multicultural because so many people from different places live there because the UN is what is is there in in Geneva it's one of the headquarters so I went to an international school and I got to meet lots of other folks from different countries which is a really great way to grow up especially if you want to be open-minded um, but because of that there's always the other extreme like if if something's great and very multicultural there's obviously the you know those threads of xenophobia um, Switzerland is very xenophobic. Um, it's also very racist, but in a like nice white racist kind of way. It's like, more passive aggressive yeah, than aggressive very, aggressive. Yeah, exactly. So like politically speaking and and I guess upward mobility speaking, it can be very difficult for people who are non-white and it always has been. Um, but th they'll give you other things to assuage you. So like if you complain about systemic racism in Switzerland, they're like, oh, no, no, okay, no, don't worry, we'll have this law, everything will be fine, here you go. And, you know, then you have upward mobility, you can get a better job, you have better pay, you live in a great place, how can you complain? Um, but if you do some more digging, the Swiss are, you know, even if it's a neutral country, that doesn't mean that they're not funding other people's wars, it doesn't mean that they're not stashing money for other nations while they wage those wars. It's the, one of the least neutral countries that I know of, it's just that they don't send their armies off to go fight. It's, they're just protecting their own shit, that's all. And what are some of the instances that you've noticed since you moved to the United States six years ago, which really kind of reinforced the aggressively aggressive nature of our, um, of our at times, prejudice in this country? Um, it's, it, it seems as as we become more vocal about systemic racism and racism in general, um, it, there are more and more angry white people coming out of the woodwork uh, to be able, who want to express how angry they are. Uh, it seems like any 
any step forward that we make, there's always a step back. So like having a black president means obviously that we're going to have a lot of racist backlash and you'll see that pretty much anywhere. If, if women make a step forward, there's always going to be a pushback towards that, a bigger push to basically dis dissuade you from, you know, fighting for what you are owed and for what is right and for what you need to be able to live. And that's what I've noticed more and more here is that anytime that you actively try to fight for what you want or for what you need for your life, there's always going to be, you know, five angry racist dudes who are going to come after you and say horrible things to try to make you stop saying them. And you can keep fighting, which is great if you can, but if you need to retreat, then do it because it can be fucking scary out there. It actually brings up the point I was making earlier about Colin Kaepernick, for example. Mm -hmm. He was a young man, multi-millionaire, played in the NFL, or is playing in the NFL still. The 49ers didn't get rid of him, so he's still playing in the NFL. He's young man, mixed race. He, in fact, you two are about the same complexion, both. Yeah. But obviously, you have the black features. You have he has some of the most distinct black yeah. features. And we joke about that he kind of looks like Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> yes, but he does have that. <laughs> he has some distinctive features that you know he's black when yeah. you see him. And. Yet, he was raised by a white family because he was adopted. Mm -hmm. His family seemed to embrace the fact that he was black and wanted to make sure he had as much of the experience of the culture as possible. Well, he decided to take a stand, and he took a stand by sitting down and not standing for the national anthem. And as you, as you pointed out, when you want to take a stand for something in this country, you're going to deal with a whole lot of pissed off people yeah. who had this big issue with what he did. And that's a point that I noticed that you very eloquently made when people stand up and and they protest, it gets very loud and, and kind yeah. of out of control. Yeah, it's which is, I mean, it it's so predictable. Uh, so I'm not, I don't think anyone was really surprised when that happened. What, I think what was more shocking to me was the fact that there are people who are trying to turn it into another discussion about him not being patriotic and trying to discredit or gaslight what he's doing when... I mean, it's one of the most patriotic things that you can do if you're going by the book of, you know, American history and our right to be able to protest. And I, so it's just, I, I guess there's just always going to be a double standard. Um, and unless you happen to be cisgender male and white and Christian, if you protest, that's totally fine. But the second that you're not any of those things, you're not protesting the right way. You're not you're not quiet enough for anyone, or you're not violent enough for anyone, or you're too violent. There's never, unless you are a white man, you cannot just protest the way that you feel you should. You just can't. And and that's an interesting point that that you bring up there is that one of the things about professional football, well, mm -hmm. professional sports in this country, but pro football is the single biggest. Thing yeah. in, in in the United States, it's not even a fair fight anymore. I grew up during the '80s when baseball still had a bit of a claim to that. No, baseball lost it a long time ago to the NFL. The NFL has had every year. You'll hear of five or six players who get in trouble for spousal abuse yeah. or sexual or sexual abuse, criminal sexual conduct of some sort. You see athletes in general where, whether it's a baseball player or Jose Reyes who now plays for the Mets who was with the Colorado Rockies, mm -hmm. essentially got released for beating up his wife and then kind of strong-arming her into not saying anything. There's there's hockey players who've done it. There's basketball players who've done it. But football players, I mean, of course, there's even swimmers because we yeah. now have the now infamous Brock Turner who yeah. who got, the, and we'll get to him a little bit later on too, but the this notion that Colin Kaepernick, what he did was so wrong, was so outlandish and so beyond the pale that NFL executives are saying that 
he is viewed the way that Ray Carruth is viewed. Yeah. How does that even jibe with someone like you, where people like Ray Rice who beat up their yeah. girlfriends, well, wives on camera, where a guy like Greg Hardy got chance after chance after chance from both from from the Carolina Panthers and the Dallas Cowboys after this long-standing account of how he beat up his girlfriend came into play. Yeah. The number of the number of guys who killed women and killed people. Yeah. But a guy standing refusing to stand for the anthem is apparently worse than any of that and all these different men who Josh Brown a kicker for the Giants. He got one game for beating up his wife multiple times. When you hear things like this and you look at the you look at the I guess the can't even think of the word off the top of my head, which shows you this is this is how this is live as it gets. <laughs> the dichotomy. I, there you go. See, that's why. Yeah. See that I've got the <laughs> I've got the intelligent woman in the room to bail me out. So let's explain how you, as a woman and as a feminist, feel seeing the way that these men are treated. Well, okay. So when you're protesting racism. Uh, that's going to make white people angry, always. And it's going to make some black and brown folks angry because they still think that, you know, holding hands with white supremacy is totally cool and, like, you'll be safer that way, so just keep doing it. We'll leave, um, we'll leave Ben Carson out of this yeah, for right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to standing up for women and or just not hurting women, that doesn't seem to be something that's feasible for men in general, It which... It speaks to the greater culture of misogyny. I think that if there's one thing that we'll never really be able to get rid of, and this is depressing as fuck, is that we'll never be able to get rid of, a, of misogyny. I don't think it's possible. Not unless men are willing to discuss their culture of toxic masculinity. Um, and that's, I think that's why it's so prevalent, especially within sports, is that there's a very heavy feeling of, of toxic masculinity. It's just part of the culture. So toxic masculinity basically means that um, there's the ideal of what men should be. And any any diversion outside of that realm um, that skews any in any way, form feminine is, is not good. You're basically called a, and I'm using air quotes here, pussy. Um, because anything that is woman-like is just demonized automatically. You're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you are, you're weak, basically. Which is funny because most of us know that women are not weak and we're exceptionally strong. And I would love to see a dude push a baby out of his dick. But, you know, that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> uh, forgive the, the like, the, the trans oh, issues here. Oh, but, hey, hey, look, we, we're, we're pretty much as uncensored as it gets here. You okay. Say what you feel. Um, so, yeah, I think if people actually gave a fuck about women, then they would have the conversation. But hurting women and and destroying that sense of femininity within yourself is perfectly acceptable within sports culture, within culture in general, and it, it will always be permissible, especially within the realm of sports, because you're just exerting your power as a man. You're perfectly entitled to, quote, put your woman in her place and show her who is dominant. And I don't think that that's something that they really want to confront their players with, and I don't think that's something that most men are willing to confront. Even like the nicest ones, the ones that, you know, are, are the nice guys. It's, they can't see how their own issues with masculinity can hurt others. And that's a huge problem. And I think that's what the issue is here. That, that just has me think of the, like the situation at Baylor University, where yeah. you take Baylor, this southern, I mean, this deep 
in the south as you can get in Waco, Texas, this yeah. southern Christian school that for the longest was a laughing stock in college football until maybe the last seven, eight years. And in the last seven, eight years, it has become one of the more dangerous places for women. And Baylor had a systemic, almost Penn State-like culture where yeah. they knew this was going on with multiple players who were sexually assaulting and physically assaulting. Well, you know what? That's actually the same thing. Yeah. Who are sexually assaulting women and they're mistreating women and, and the women are basically forced into this code of silence or shamed into silence because it's a Christian school and that's it's it's almost like Baylor was looked at slightly differently from what occurred in Penn State where yeah. where Penn State is it's Joe Paterno and he's he's the he's the god of state college and he's he was basically covering for Jerry Sandusky for 40 yeah. years and since it was little boys albeit yes it is outrageous and you should not do that yeah. to young children at all it's it's just insane an identical thing was happening at Baylor. I think that, but the thing is that um, when it came to what happened at Penn State, uh, because most people are unwilling to admit that men and boys can be victims of sexual assault, you can rape men. It is possible. It happens all the time, every day. It's more difficult for male victims to come forward because of, of that element of toxic masculinity and just like being able to admit that it happened to you. you you're scared. It's very scary. You grow up thinking that you can't ever be assaulted, and then when it does happen to you, how do you come forward? How do you ever say anything? But I think because it was one of the biggest cases that we had heard of in a very long time, I think that's why we talked about it a lot more, whereas you hear violence against women on a daily, if not like every single 10 minutes, you hear about it. It's impossible to not read a story one day about a woman getting hurt by her you know, by someone who was close to her, a male relative. It, most of the time, it's someone who she, who she was close to. So, because it happens so often, I, so many people are desensitized towards violence against women, and I think that's key, is that, like, we're just so used to it. It's part of our lives, and it's just, it's not a big deal to so many people, and that's frightening. It's so scary that it's just like, okay, yeah, but you're a woman. What did you expect? When you, you went through... A situation mm -hmm. like this yourself and obviously I know this is a very difficult at times it can be a very it's difficult for me to even ask the question about but you this. can it's fine I'm, I'm good today I, I will and that's something we'll get to a little bit a, a yeah. little bit down the line too is you were you you were a victim of a sexual assault mm -hmm. what occurred that night and and whatever amount of detail you're comfortable in explaining what happened to you and I'm asking this not to kind of glorify it or anything, but to no. give an idea of what it's like for a young woman to go through something like this. For those who still live with this Neanderthal idea that, oh, maybe she did something to... No, we don't do that here. Yeah. I guess, tell your story however you, however you see fit, and I will lay out and let you just do it. Because okay. I, I can't do it any justice. <laughs> um, so the man who assaulted me, uh, he had been someone who I knew, he was within my circle of friends. I had dated two of his friends in the past and it just didn't work out with them. But you could, I, I think pretty much everyone knew that he had a crush on me, but I just wasn't interested in reciprocating his feelings and I made that abundantly clear. Um, and he, on several occasions, like tried to have me alone, whether it was at his place or in other situations. It, he became very stalker-like. Uh, he used to, you know, follow me back home and then throw pebbles at my window, which, like, I'm, I can't even, like, get into the realm of, like, romantic films, like, that do that, because that's just fucking weird. 
um, stalking and romance are two very different things, consent being the thing that changes it. Um, but yeah, and he eventually managed to, uh, you know, catch me while I was alone and, uh, you know, completely unaware of what, of my surroundings and, you know, on my way back home, it didn't happen too far away from where I lived, which is, you know, it's, it's difficult when, when you're raped in your own home. It's also difficult if it's in the proximity of your home, it kind of destroys like your, your sanctuary and, and who you are and everything that you thought was safe. Um, and I went straight to the police afterwards, I mean, to the hospital afterwards to get a rape kit and get, you know, all the testing that they need to get done. Uh, I went to the police officers the next day um, and I was given two male detectives to interview me, which I thought was really fucked up because, you know, for obvious reasons, you just shouldn't do that. Uh, and just for clarification, yeah. this was in Switzerland. This was in Switzerland. This wasn't here in the U.S. Okay. And yeah. Um, so yes. Anyways, they also didn't provide me with a therapist who's supposed to be there with you. And that's another thing that they're supposed to do. It was just me, two officers, and my mother was with me. And I, you know, I told them what happened and you know, when you're having a conversation with someone and they're visibly disinterested and they don't give a fuck about what you're saying, that was what it was like. It was just, they were waiting to like get the fuck out of there. Maybe they were finishing up their morning shift. I don't know what was going on, but they didn't really care. Um, they basically returned all of the evidence to me about, I would say six months to eight months later saying that there wasn't very much that they could pursue. They didn't investigate any of my friends. They didn't ask any of my friends any questions, despite all the information that I managed to give them. They didn't do anything, basically. It was like they had all the stuff that they needed and they just didn't pursue it. Um, I didn't pursue any legal action after that. I was just, I was fucked up, basically. I couldn't do anything. I was failing school. I was trying to get my life on track, but I just couldn't. I was in a black hole of hell. Um, and I, you know, I tried really hard to rebuild my life there. I just never managed to. It took, I mean, it's been, what, 10 years now? And, like, it's gotten, it's been that long. It's taken that long for me to actually, like, be okay and, like, live every single day like it's worth living again. Uh, but that took a really long time. What are some of your days like? 95% of them now are, are fine. Uh, there are moments during those days that can be a bit more difficult, and it's hard to predict what every day is going to be like. Um, PTSD is a very strange thing to live with. You don't, it doesn't, it's not like textbook. <laughs> so you always expect it to happen like right after the assault, and it doesn't always happen that way. Like you can actually compartmentalize, or I manage to comp compartmentalize a lot of things and just deal with little things piece by piece. Um, PTSD actually occurred a lot later for me where like it was just a whole host of issues moving my, my dad being married to someone who despised me um, it, just emotional distress from other things it was weird um, so most of the time I'm okay it there's like t small triggers whether it's just like the smell of something um, if my hand touches asphalt, sometimes that can be really difficult for me because I remember so clearly being on the ground and not being able to do shit. Um, yeah, it's, it's very strange, but most of the time I'm okay now. And talking about it, writing about it, uh, talking to other survivors about it, 
having you know a really great family around me like I married someone who's wonderful his family is wonderful I have a lot of support so uh, the, the older I get the easier it is to to go about my day and that's mostly I used to credit others but like that's mostly my own internal strength and I'm happy that I managed to push through it so you're 27 now 28 28 now yeah. so this occurred when you were 18 yeah Jesus Christ. Yeah. How, how was the, um, how did people treat you? Because <laughs> there, then I, you, you know where I'm going here. Yeah. How, how, how did people treat you? Because there's this obvious stigma. Why, uh, as crazy as it may sound yeah. now, today in the United States, women who were victims of sexual assault are treated far better than they were when I was a kid. Yeah. Even 20, even, even in the mid 1990s, yeah. there was still this air of, she had it coming or what did she do and that was not seen as an improper question to ask no which now fortunately it is um i mean i think social media in general has really helped because we're like the voices of those who needed to be amplified are amplified and so it's a really great place for people to be able to point out what's fucked up about what we're doing uh and it also has democratized the voice of feminism because I think it used to be too elitist but now we have more options and you can actually learn about these things without going to college and without buying super expensive books or paying for expensive talks um, I think that's been really important but in my own case uh, I mean Switzerland's fairly liberal-ish it's kind of weird uh, it, there's like a gray area there <laughs> with Switzerland because uh, it still is like pretty Christian, but at the same time, like most people are atheist. It's a strange. Kind of like being maybe on the certain parts of the West Coast in this country, yeah. sort of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like France is super similar. Like you can't get abortions past uh, past twelve weeks, and in certain cases, it can be incredibly hard to get one because it's a very Catholic country. But it's also super liberal uh, in other aspects, like in in terms of sexual liberation. Um, so yeah, I don't know, it's it's sort of similar to that. Um, but despite that, teenagers are fucking horrible to each other. And so, and Geneva is a tiny city, I mean, really, really small, and all the schools are somewhat connected, and like, if you know one person, there's like one degree of difference between each person in Switzerland, so you oh, basically wow. can, it's not that hard um, to know everyone and know everything about everyone. And this is when Facebook was starting, so rumors were spreading a lot faster. Um, I was the girl who got raped, but I was also the girl who totally deserved it because I went out all the time, and you know I was not everybody's best friend, and I wasn't super popular, and I was just like very weird and outspoken, and people just didn't like me very much for that. So, yeah, I basically I shouldn't have been out late, and I should have done this, and I should have done that. I should have not been wearing jeans. I don't know. Like, because <laughs> if you're not, because you shouldn't be wearing jeans, you should be wearing a skirt. But she should be wearing that skirt yeah, because it's too be short, or it's too long, exactly. or it's too suggestive, or it's too revealing. Yeah. It, it, what are we getting wrong as a society here in the United States? I'm someone who doesn't have a child of yeah. my own. I'm 37 years old. Oh boy, I'm 37 <laughs> years old and 10 years older than you. Yeah, almost 10 years older than you. I have no children of my own, but yeah. I. I know at some point I'll eventually have a child and if and it almost doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl because you have to work with them. What yeah. do, what do we get wrong as a society about sexual assault, about violence against women? What and I'm not sure how much time you got, but what are we getting wrong here about I can this? I summarize it. Um, I mean, number 1 for me is consent. 
it's amazing like the more you learn as an adult about what consent means and what you what you need in order for someone's consent which is just an enthusiastic yes um not like a, a coerced yes not like a muted yes not a like a nod of your head but like an enthusiastic yes um and you explore like how we raise our kids to like blur those boundaries of what yes and no means it's really frightening so it starts like I mean it starts when you're a tiny whether it's someone who's like a relative who's forcing a hug from your child like if you if your kid does not want to hug you if your kid doesn't want to give you a kiss don't force it you're teaching them that like no matter what what you want is more important than what they want it starts so fucking young and so repeatedly teaching that like what they say and how they feel about it is irrelevant to your to your needs you're teaching them that their entitlement or that your entitlement is more important to their body or their physical autonomy um from there that's reinforced as you grow up uh, when you're a teenager your fucking hormones are going crazy you want to fuck everything your fridge your couch whatever <laughs> Um, teaching teenagers how to interact each the, with each other and how what consent means to them at that level is really important because you're still discovering your sexuality. You don't you don't necessarily know what you want yet. You don't know how your body necessarily works. And if you've been shamed about sexuality, then you're not exploring it in a healthy way necessarily. You're not talking to someone about it. You don't know anything about STDs. You don't know how to put on a fucking condom. You don't know all of these things. And you don't know what yes means and what no means when it comes to sex. It starts to get even more dangerous. And then throw college into it. Throw alcohol into it. Throw, you know, male entitlement and you know, misogyny, the fact that maybe boys weren't raised to respect women as being their complete and total equals in terms of, you know, physical autonomy and opportunities and everything else that equality means. Not just equality of physical autonomy, but also of opportunities. It's all of that. If you don't see women as being equal to you, you can't respect them, you won't respect their what what they want, what they need, and the fact that they're allowed to say no, that we don't have to have sex with anyone, that we don't owe a man anything. If they don't get that, no fucking wonder this happens all the time. You like the fact that men still feel entitled to anyone's attention simply because they're male. How can anything get better? It's a point that I hear brought up a lot. And when you mentioned something there that the light bulb kind of fired on, mm-hmm. Brock Turner, for example, mm-hmm. everyone's favorite scumbag who now is, um, he has to register as a sex offender. Yeah, he did yesterday. And, and had to register as a sex offender. He, unfortunately, he's out of jail as opposed to still being in prison where he should be. But when, of all the crazy things of that infamously light sentence that he's gotten, there are people who are doing jail time for smoking a blunt or having a, a, a small amount of marijuana. They did longer time in jail than Brock Turner did for raping a, a woman yeah. in the street. I still remember the asinine statements his father made about Ugh. 20 minutes of action and how, and, 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 and it's drinking and it's the college culture. We've both been through college. Yeah. It's not, to, to sew this up in a nice, to tie this up in a nice yeah. little bow, is, is it the alcohol? Is it the clothes you're wearing? Is it the time of year? Is it the culture? What is it that causes these problems? 
<laughs> it's male entitlement and misogyny and toxic masculinity and and just general hatred. It's it's really scary. It has nothing to do with with alcohol. I think Stan- Stanford Stanford actually banned hard liquor at parties now. It's not fucking vodka that's raping anyone. It's a fucking asshole who thinks that he's allowed to have a woman simply because he has a dick. Like that just it has nothing to do with alcohol. It most of the time rape happens when you're completely fucking sober. The guy who raped me was sober. I was sober. Like are you telling me that somehow like it was what it was because like I was just around, I was breathing? Like it doesn't I it, most people understand why rape happens. They understand what it is, and it's just that they don't want to admit that they have to look at themselves first, and that they may actually have raped someone themselves. Because if, <laughs> if yes is like an enthusiastic yes, if that's consent, then think about all the times that you did not get that and you just kept going. I've gotten into rather animated discussions with my fellow black men mm-hmm. about this issue. The Bill Cosby thing from a couple of years ago. And almost any time a major athlete or or actor or singer who's black is accused of mm-hmm. sexual assault and more often than not actually did it. Yeah. The instant thing to say is, well, we're not so sure. We don't have all the facts. We don't have enough proof. And I, I look at them and say, okay, so let's just change the scenario here from woman is sexually assaulted by a man to police officer assaults black man on the street and you hear the litany of people come out and say well we don't have all the facts how do we know he didn't do something to provoke this beating yeah and you see the whole mood of the conversation change in terms of our society get what do you think can be done to get that message across not just the black men it's the men in general hell there's just some women who don't fully get it either because there are women who at times jump to the defense of of these of of these men who do this saying well she shouldn't have been doing this or i heard she was easy how does how does one get this mindset to change i think what's what would be really important is to teach kids from the second that they're born that their bodies are theirs and like just just theirs like your body belongs to you it doesn't belong to anyone else um anything that happens to your body has to happen with your express permission because the people who defend, you know, uh, rapists and to, the ex- to a certain extent, the people who also defend police officers who kill black men and women, there's this idea that, like, our bodies are just public space, like, that we're entitled to hurting those who don't look like us or who are not us simply because they're different. And, like, what's... I think that's why, like, being a feminist but also intersectional feminism is so important here is that you can't really, if you're a woman of color, if you're a black woman, you can't look at misogyny without looking at racism. You have to look at both of them. And you can't just keep having the same conversations over and over again without looking at how white supremacy will infiltrate all parts of our lives, including how we discuss sex, sex and sexuality. So, I mean, they're they're a part of each other, they're interwoven. You have to look at them. Um, and so I think, that's, I think that's why it's difficult to have those conversations sometimes because we're not really willing to, to look into ourselves and be introspective about like, how we're uh, perpetuating not just sexism and misogyny, but white supremacy within our own lives. It's a difficult conversation to have. I guess the one last thing is we'll kind of wrap this 
conversation up and I am just floored by this. Well, I have one, before I go, the question, what is intersectional feminism? feminism? Help me out here for the uh, the uneducated masses (laughs) such as myself. So it's, this is not a term that I brought up at all. I mean, that I invented at all. It's it's a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, who's uh, a professor um, at US, I think it was UCLA. Anyway, she wrote her, her thesis about how you can't discuss um, sex, for black women, you cannot just discuss sexism, you have to look at racism as well, that these things overlap, um, that everything, based on who we are, you have different things that affect you. So there are different levels of oppression, and these different oppressions intersect each other and affect you as a person. So if you happen to be a black queer woman, then you're looking at, you know, you're looking at homophobia, you're looking at racism, you're looking at sexism. Uh, If you're disabled, then you're also looking at ableism, uh, and you can just keep going. Same thing with transphobia and the color of your skin. All of these things intersect and create different levels of oppression and make things more difficult for you. And it's very alienating because you can't just ignore one thing you they're they're who you are so when people ask like i've been asked to like just put aside the race thing for a second like why why can't you be okay with with this thing it's like because both of them affect me you can't just discuss feminism and not bring up race like white women are also very much a part of white supremacy and have a history of um, you know of enslaving and hurting black people too and they are also they also co-opt what black people do all the time and yeah, I could keep going, and, but and, like, I'll get more angry. And, and as we, and I can tell you're getting more angry here, but the, hey, the anger is good. I will. <laughs> I, I guess that brings it to the final point here. One more athlete over the weekend, Lena Dunham and Amy Schumer did this really uh, weird attempt at being funny in an interview. And Lena Dunham tells this story where supposedly she's at the Met Gala mm-hmm. and she's seated across from Odell Beckham next to next to next to Odell Beckham of the New York Giants who or as he's known around here he's the guy that the Detroit Lions could have drafted instead they drafted an idiot (laughs) tight end and Odell Beckham is the superstar wide receiver New York Giants to give a little bit more background in case some of y'all who may not follow occasionally there's this odd odd idea that Odell Beckham is gay he's not or at least people think he is because if he'll he has interesting videos where he'll be dancing in a what is considered a quote-unquote feminine type of way and the thing is he's never put his sexuality out there nor is it any of our business whether he is or isn't anyhow so somehow he ends up next to lena dunham and while she's sitting there and she's the star of girls on hbo and everything odell beckham is an all pro nfl player he's not paying her any mind he's sitting there he's on his phone i don't know if he's on instagram i don't know if he's playing words with friends whatever the hell it is (laughs) he ain't paying attention to her and she decides during this whole thing with amy schumer to go on to this long, drawn-out thing about how he clearly was ignoring her because she wasn't built the way that normal women are who would come after him because she's she's kind of overweight and some would argue, some, not all, would argue she may not be the most attractive to certain people. She assumed that's why he didn't talk to her and she kind of projected all these negative insecurities, insecurities onto him. I laughed about this, but it makes me think at the same time. So just so I understand here, if this man hits on you and mm-hmm. spends all night pestering you, do you then go tell Amy Schumer that you couldn't get this black athlete to leave you alone and he was harassing you all night long 
because he thought you were going to be some easy woman to get with. Mm. But now, on the other end of it, since he actually just says, no, I'm not interested, without even having to say anything, because, well, as you put it earlier, we don't owe you an explanation. If we don't want to talk to you, we won't talk to you, and we just go on about our business. He still gets labeled as if there's something wrong with him. I know Lena Dunham's not exactly the most well-liked in a lot of instances, and this didn't help her out. As someone who is a foremost feminist and an expert and i consider you an expert you may not always but i consider (laughs) you an expert on this subject talk to me for a second about lena dunham and how completely fucked up that was that she did to odell beckham okay so there's there's maybe 20 different levels of how fucked up that situation was um the first glaring one was that it's ironic that someone who is a self-proclaimed feminist and who, you know, tries to live out these feminist ideals, it was projecting her own insecurities about not having someone talk to her based on how she looks. That's exactly the same shit the dudes say all the time. Like, oh, she wouldn't talk to me. Why am I not good enough for you? When am I too ugly? What am I not like everyone else? What am I not like rich enough? All that shit you hear dudes say. So like, she's just to me, honestly, like, that was just, if the roles were inverse, that's fucked up and super anti-feminist of her. So there's that. Then there's the other level, which is the white female entitlement of black bodies and black men and the over-sexualization of black male bodies. The fact that she felt like she was owed any of his time, uh, historically put and contextually put, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. I mean just the and also the criminalization of black male bodies if you're like wrapping that all up with sexuality and white women and what happens as a consequence of black men and white women being together you're looking at Emmett Till so I mean we can go ahead and bring that right the fuck up because that's that's part of it too the fact the third part of it is her white privilege and being a feminist So she's part of the subsect of feminists that we call white feminism, which is that they only look at issues that affect white women, and so rarely ever look at any of the other aspects of what feminism should be or could be. Um, She basically decided to completely ignore what black women were saying online after all of this happened. Like, the just completely ignored what they were saying, didn't even thank them for maybe bringing to light a lot of these points, because, I mean, these are not just my own points, these are things that people have already said on Twitter, they're not my own conclusions either, like, I'm part of it, but I'm not, I'm not the originator of all of these thoughts. It's painful because she's not willing to see how she's perpetuating white supremacy, and she's still not willing to really look at how white supremacy and feminism intersect within her white feminism group, and I don't think that she's willing to actually take any any responsibility in the future. I don't think that she's willing to actually learn about what this meant and how how her voice has an effect on other people and how her white privilege let her feel, feel entitled to, you know, someone else. It's it's really messed up. And not to mention like not all of this aside She's also said some horrible shit about black people in the past, and there's a reason for why she doesn't have black people on her show. She's fucking racist. Like, j- that's, that's just obvious. If she wasn't, if, if she had even thought about the effect of what her words would have been, maybe she was maybe looking at herself a little bit closer, but I don't think she's capable of doing that. I don't think that she's capable of looking at 
how badly she fucked up. I think she's going to use her white victimhood and play it all out as much as she can and just, like, pretend that she was a poor little white girl who got, you know, who basically got bullied on Twitter and had to have an excuse. But, uh, yeah, no. There's no fixing it for me with her. It also didn't help that she made a slight intimation that he might be gay, which might be the other reason why he didn't talk to her, which is, again... But also using, like, faux body positivity to be like, oh, I know that I'm not, like... You know, I'm not your standard of, of beauty. To use that and put your own fucking shit on someone else who didn't say shit to you. Like, and why did he have to talk to her? I mean, he doesn't know her. And if he does, he doesn't have to talk to her. Who the fuck would want to? Like, if I sat next to her, I wouldn't talk to her. <laughs> I, that's the, I, I think that's the point we've reached is that one must understand nobody owes you any sort of attention. No. Stop telling women on the street to smile and white ladies, stop expecting me to speak to you if you sit next to me on a plane or in a restaurant or in a Starbucks or whatever. You're not there to make them feel sexy. If they don't feel sexy on their own, that's their own shit that they have to deal with. That's not you. <laughs> I'm not. That's, that's you know what? That's how we will end this thing. Yes. <laughs> Please tell people how they can follow you and where they can see some of your work. Well, uh, the majority of my stuff you can find on Twitter. Um, I go under the the French name of uh, Feminist Woman. So it's spelled F-E-M-M-E, Feminist. So Feminist with an E at the end. That's my Twitter handle. Um, I have a link to my blog up there as well. Uh, You can find my Facebook profile under Lara Witt. A lot of the articles that I post are on a public profile. Um, so don't be weird. Uh, if you want to say hi, you can always say hi to me. Um, yeah, I, I love talking to people, especially if it's assault survivors. If you need any help, if you need someone to talk to, I can always provide an ear. I appreciate you so much for coming in and talking yeah, to me about this. This is this is fun. This is going to be the, probably the longest show I've done, but you know what? <laughs> it's actually worth it. Lara Witt, one more time. What is your Twitter handle again? Fem, F-E-M-M-E, Feminist. So Feminist with an E at the end. That is my Twitter handle. Lara Witt, my second guest here on JSC Radio. Thank you very much Thank for this. Thank you. And there you have it. That was um, that was something else. It gets very raw and gets very real with Lara Witt. Once again, if you want to follow Lara Witt, and I suggest if you're going to follow her, you better come in peace because she will not play around with you. It's Fem Feminist. It's on Twitter. And it's on Instagram. Her name, once again, is Lara Witt. Lara, L-A-R-A, like the Tomb Raider. That Lara. Lara Witt. I want to thank her for coming on this show. She's just an amazing individual with an awesome story. And someone who has, she's admitted to people that she still deals with the anxiety and the panic attacks that come from her assault. It's something that you never shake. And she came on this show to make it very clear that when people are dismissive, of how women are mistreated in terms of violence, in terms of sexual violence. She is a living testament that you can bounce back from it, but please understand that there are real costs and these are real people who are dealing with these issues. And if you've been a victim of sexual assault, you can reach out for help 24-7, 365. Go to www.rain.org. That's rain with two N's, R-A-I-N-N dot org. That is the National Sexual Assault Hotline online at rain.org. My name is J. Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. And we are out of here.
episode 18 is coming next week. Have a great weekend and enjoy your football. We're out of here. Thanks for coming out. God bless you. Good night. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. <laughs>